0: What an awesome video, huh? Man, that's just amazing. Uh, before we get started today, I just want to acknowledge a couple of people real quick. I don't know how many of you had a chance to go to the Fall oh, I'm sorry, the fall Festival Hallelujah Night. But let's just, uh, they, they did an awesome job, Miss Sandy Howe and Lisa Claremont. Let's just give them a hand for all the hard work that they did. Just know that we greatly appreciate it. And uh, we are honored to have uh, Jonathan Hennett back with us today. Um, there's a proud mama sitting beside him, so we're glad that you're here um, so how many people have actually, you've already voted? Okay, how many people are planning on voting by Tuesday? All right, here's the deal now. Y'all got to be with me on this. If you have not voted and you're not going to vote, then you can't say anything to anybody for at least four years. Okay, Is that, that's the deal. So if you're going to be silent and you're not going to say anything you know, by your vote, then when you want to complain, you got to keep your mouth shut because you said that you didn't care by you not saying anything. Is that, is that cool? So, so when you find somebody that you know that didn't vote, say, I, 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 you had your chance and you didn't say anything, all right? So Tuesday is the big day. Um, well, we get a chance to decide who the next leader of this great nation will be. I heard a story this week about a young boy who was uh, getting ready to turn 16, and his father was a minister, and he said to his dad, he said, Dad, you know, I want to talk to you about using the car. And he said, Well, son, I tell you what, come on in my study, and uh, here, here are three things that if you'll do, we can discuss you using my car. He said, Okay. He said, The first thing that you need to do is this. You need to, you need to get your grades up. The second thing you need to do is you need to read your Bible more. And the last thing that you need to do is you need to cut your hair because it's too long. He said, okay, I, th- I think I can do that. So about a month passes by, and he comes back to his dad. And again, his father's in his study. He says, Dad, I think I'm ready to talk about using the car again. He said, okay, well, here, here's what. Let's, let's just sit down and let's look at this, this past month. You, you've been doing really good. I, I'm so proud of you. You got your grades up, and you got your schoolwork. I mean, it's doing good, so I'm proud of you there. He said. I noticed that you've been reading your Bible. He said that's awesome, but you still hadn't cut your hair. He said. You know, Dad, I was thinking, I was reading the Bible, and all the great leaders in the Bible had long hair. I mean, he said, Samson he had long hair, and Moses had long hair, and 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 Noah had long hair. And, and probably the greatest leader of all, Jesus, he had long hair. And his father thought for a second. He said, yes, son. And they walked everywhere that they went also. <laughs> so we're in a series on leadership uh, called Dangerous Church. And we're seeing how God can use us and these, these qualities that we've been listening to. To use us to bring glory to him and, and, and go out into the world and be leaders. And um uh, the first week we looked at identification. The, the point was, I must know who I am. And last week we looked at clarification. I must know what I want to accomplish. And today we're going to look at motivation. I must know who I am trying to please. Pastor Farrell has gone on vacation, um, so he needed a break. And so I'm Jared Grantham, I'm the youth pastor. So, so we're today, we're going to try to look into this and see. What our motivation is. Who are we as a church and as leaders trying to please? In preparation for this message, I asked myself this question. I said, when was the first time I ever remember just leading people? When was the first time I ever remember exercising leadership? And it took me past sixth grade and past third grade all the way to first grade Sunday school class. And I remember... We went into Sunday school. The teacher hadn't quite arrived yet, and I had this great idea that I would get a bunch of my friends, and we'd get up on the table. I was trying to get them up on the table, and we would just act fun, you know, and dance. So we were up there, and I was like, come on, y'all, this will be fun. So they're climbing, we climb up on the chairs, and I'm, man, I'm dancing. I'm, we're cutting up, and everybody's laughing, and we're having a good time. And she comes in, and she says, okay, guys, come on, let's sit down. And we weren't listening. We were still dancing. I was like, hey, come on, Everybody get Up and so we're trying to dance on the table. She said, I, I said you need to get down, and I, we just kept right on going. So she left, and I thought, Yes, you know, we'll get to have our way. I didn't know that she was going to get my dad, <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, me and, and the pastor's kid, we're up there, and uh, I'm man, we're getting down, we're having a good time, and he comes around the corner. I do that freeze robot thing, like he sees me, and then we make eye contact, and I'm like, Oh. My goodness. And so he grabbed my arm and, you know, very nicely led me down the chair, down the hall. My feet couldn't catch up. I was doing the drag motion. pulls me into the bathroom. And when the door shut, the lights went out. And I don't remember what happened after the door was shut. I woke up sometime after lunch. And um, I thought, man, last time I remember, I was in Sunday school class. But that was not a very good leadership decision. So anyway, every one of us at some point in our lives is going to be looked to as the decision maker. We're going to be looked to as the leader, the go-to person where all eyes are going to be on us and they're going to say, what is your move? Whether it's in ministry, whether it's in the military, whether it's at your job or or business, all eyes are going to be on us and, and we're going to have to decide what the right move is to make. Here are the facts. Our leadership decisions are not going to please everyone. They can't. It's impossible. Someone or some group is always going to be mad or upset at the decision that we make. So we have to decide today, who are we trying to please? If we think that we can please everyone, we're wrong and we're in for a big surprise. Herbert B. Swope, he he left this quote. He says, I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure. And that is, try to please everyone. In other words, if you think that you can please everyone, that is the formula for failure. And the truth of the matter is this that God Himself cannot please everyone. Here's my point football, yesterday, some of y'all, you were upset. Some of you were happy your teams won. Today, the NFL plays. You've got Tennessee undefeated that's going to play Green Bay. You've got the Green Bay fans praying that their team wins. And you've got the Tennessee fans over here praying that their team wins. And they're both lifting their prayers up. And if they get a tie, then both of them are mad, right? So who wins? And then you've got Washington playing Pittsburgh, and they're doing the same thing. Who wins? Who wins? Then you've got people that are praying for rain. They need it for their job to survive. That's their income. They're, they want their crops to grow. They need rain, and they're praying for it, and they're praying for it. And then on the other end, you've got people that are getting married this weekend. They're like, please don't let it rain on my wedding day. Or the, or the guys are saying, I've got to play golf this week. You know, I don't want it to rain. And so you're lifting up prayers from bro, both sides to, from God, and he's like, you know, sees these and sees these. So who wins? Who walks away and gets their way? Jesus couldn't please everyone. And the truth of the matter is this, that if you're around me long enough, that I'll make a decision at some point in my life that will probably not be something that you you were happy about. Because I'm human and my intentions do not line up with your expectations. In other words, what you expect out of me and what I intend to give you are not lining up. They're two different things. When I was a a freshman in college, I waited tables at Ryan's. And it was on a Tuesday or Thursday morning. These two young ladies came in, and they sat down in the back section. And I came in. I got their drink orders, a Diet Coke and a Coke. I remember it just like it was yesterday. And I, I said, is there anything else that I can get for you? She said, no, I think we're fine. I said, okay, well, let me know if you need anything else. So I left for a couple of minutes, and I came back, and I saw that their drink glasses were low. So I I just went ahead and got both drinks, a Diet Coke and a Coke, and I went to her. I said, here you go, ma'am. Here's your Diet Coke and here's your Coke. Can I get you anything else? And they said, no, I think we're fine. Thank you. Okay, well, let me know if you need anything. So i walk away. Well, a couple minutes later, I look back, and I see that the woman's bawling hysterically. And I'm like, what in the world? Did she have a roach in her food or something? You know, I didn't know what was going on. And so I go, I make my way to go see what's going on. And another waitress that works with me is talking to her. And she says, that guy right there. And I look like, who? And then I guess she's talking to me like, what did I do? And and she goes, well, just give us a second. And I'll come talk to you in a second. I was like, okay. So I go over there. And she comes back to me a few minutes later. And she says, the lady is really upset with you. I said, well, what did I do? I mean, She said that you told her that she needed to be drinking Diet Coke instead of Coke. I was like, I've never said that. Why would I say that? You know, I guess she just had insecurity issues. But I set down a Diet Coke in front of the wrong person. My intentions were great. My intentions to please her and make sure she's satisfied and she needs everything are great. And she expected so much out of me that she got all upset. So the truth is going to be that as leaders, we're going to make people upset sometimes because our intentions and their expectations aren't going to line up. And one of the biggest myths that we have is this. To be an effective leader, we have to be liked by everyone in order to be happy. We got this idea that if everyone's happy, then we're okay. Then we're going to be happy. If we're liked by everybody, then we're going to be happy. But that's not the case, right? I mean, who likes confrontation? No, I don't, I don't like confrontation. I don't know about you. I mean, who just says, oh, I can't wait to tell that person about what they did. I can't wait to go to that person and tell them. And you don't like for people to come to you. you know? I mean, I don't hear my wife come home and say, how was your day? Oh, it was great, man. Those three people at work were mad at me, and they were just talking about how I did this, this, and this wrong. I had a just a terrific day. Nobody has those types of things. Nobody likes confrontation. Nobody likes for people to be mad at them, right? But if we have this attitude that we can, we can please everyone and we try to do that, here's what we may do. We may end up sometimes pleasing everybody, but in the reality, the one that we're supposed to please, we're going to offend, and that's going to be God. When we try to please everybody, and that's our focus we will probably end up making God upset. So for our ministry and our church as a whole to be successful, here's the prayer that we need to pray. And this is something that I I heard Rick Warren say one time. I think it's just awesome. He said this, don't pray, God bless me. Because I don't know about you, but I've prayed those prayers before. You know, God help me, bless me, I need your help and all this stuff. Don't pray that prayer. God doesn't bless that prayer. Here's what he blesses. God, let me be a part of what you're blessing. Because He's gonna bless the thing that He wants to bless. And we have the things that we wanna do. And and, and if we pray, God, let me just be a part of what you're blessing, we're gonna receive way more than we ever would pray in that other prayer. So, in other words, God, make your agenda my agenda. Let your agenda that you have, let that be my agenda. So before we get into the word, the, the, the text today, I just want to pray a prayer that God will just open up our hearts and our minds just to take everything that we possibly can from what he's written for us today. So would you just join me? God, we come before you and we just ask that as we seek uh, to figure out how we can do nothing but please you, or let us get everything that we possibly can from this, this word that you've given us this morning. So that we can apply it to our lives as a church, in business, uh, as military people, as leaders, that our number one goal and our priority, God, would be to seek and please you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, so I was trying to decide what we should talk about, and for a couple of weeks now, I've been praying about this whole thing. I said, you know, there's so many great leaders in the Bible. Do you pray? You know, do you talk about Moses or do you talk about Noah or do you talk about Joshua? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And then I just could not get away from this scripture and this, uh, this book. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going we're gonna to have it on the screen. And this is really the only one I'm going to ask you to turn to today. But it's taken from Daniel 3. And it's the story that some of you I'm sure are familiar with of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm going to read it. And it's a good bit of text, but if you just stick with me, we're going to break this thing down. And we're going to see how God can use this uh, for our lives. So reading from verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the princes, prefects, governors, advisors, counselors, judges, magistrates, and all the uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So in other words, we just look, governors, princes, counselors, all the leaders are standing. There's this plane in Dura, and there's this statue that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and they're standing in front of this thing, and they're like, okay, and here's what he says. Now, they didn't have PA systems and bullhorns back then, so they shouted, so it says it. Then the herald shouted. People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so all of them are standing there before this statue, and they're probably reading, and it doesn't say this, but they're like... Yeah, I'm not going to bow down to that thing. Oh, there's a furnace. Okay, well, I'll just go ahead and take a knee. Right? You had me until that blazing furnace thing. And so he goes on and he says, At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the musical instruments. That decree also states that mo- those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They have defied your majesty by you refusing to serve your God's or to worship the gold statue that you set up. In other words, they didn't, they, they didn't bow down. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the one in charge. He's the man. He's the king. He issues this decree. And he finds out that they they didn't do it. And he's mad. I mean, it's like, think about parents. You tell your kids to do something. And they don't do it. You get upset, right? You're the one in charge, not them. So you tell them. So he's angry. And here's what he does. In verse 30, uh 13, he, he's mad. He says, Then he flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be thrown into the fire. When they, Let's see, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse... You will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He did that whole thing that the parents do. I'm going to give you one more chance to get in this car. And if you don't get in this car, oh man, or you've got one more chance to clean your room. And if I have to tell you one more time, and that's what he's saying, I'm going to give you one more chance. And if you don't bow down, then you're going to be thrown into the fire. And then I love this in verse 16. Listen what they say. Listen to what they tell him. They're talking to the king. Now, the thing that we need to notice, they were leaders in the province of Babylon. They weren't just like the little peons. I mean, they, they actually had a role. And here's what they say to me. And I can just see them saying it in this voice. <laughs> oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves against you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve, he's able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, and this is where I think his tone changes. Because you don't say this unless you, unless you mean it. We want to make one thing clear to you. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. It went from that, <laughs> but guess what? We're serious about this thing. We ain't, we ain't playing around. We ain't bowing down to this thing. You can just get over it. And so now imagine your kids telling you, I ain't getting in that car. <laughs> I ain't picking up my room. You know how mad you'd be over that. And he's saying, I'm the king, and I have authority to, live, to say whether you live or die, and you're going to tell me that you ain't going to do it? Okay. So here's what happens. We look at, uh, we look at verse 19. He was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Now, some of y'all parents know what that face is. (laughs) He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. As if it wasn't bad enough to just throw them in there. I mean, they had to get the strongest guys to tie them up. Because in his anger, he took it up a notch. He kicked it up. Kind of like a mural says, right? Kick it up a notch. So verse 21 says, so they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and their garments. So they're like little burritos now. They're wrapped up, tied up, and they're going in the furnace. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. Because of his anger, because he got mad and he had to go to the next level, he ended up killing people that worked for him. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied up, they fell into the roaring flames. And this is, man, this is what I love. Because this shows that there was a pause in between there, in verse between verse 23 and verse 24. Because we have to assume that he was sitting down because it says that he jumps up. So somewhere in there, he probably, and if I had a chair, I'd sit down. He's like, you know what? You made fun of me. You said that you're not going to obey me. So I'm going to show you. I'm going to get a front row seat. He pops his chair up, and I'm going to watch you guys burn. And you just, I just want you to remember my face when I'm standing here looking at you. And so he's sitting there, and then all of a sudden, in verse 24, it says, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement. And he exclaimed to his advisors, Did not we tie three men and throw them into the furnace? And they're like, they're probably sitting around, Yeah, yeah, your majesty, we did. Look, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace because we knew it was hot. And he's just trying to get as close as he can and he's looking in. And he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out, come here. Now, they're, we don't, it doesn't say what they're doing. They're walking around. I mean, they might have been, being. like, I'm not hot. Are you guys hot? I mean, I'm, I'm fine, you know. They're tied up. I don't know if they were singing, you know, kumbaya or what, but they're, they're walking around, and, and they say, come out. And, and they're probably like, well, that's the best idea you've had all day today because <laughs> the, the statue didn't work, and then the furnace didn't work. So what's coming out? I guess that'll be a good idea. And so they come out, and here's what he says to them. So It, it says in 26, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors, in other words, leaders, crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Now, you know as I know that that is the biggest phenomenon itself because if you are around a campfire for five seconds, you have to take your clothes off and go wash them when you get home because you smell like that. And they came out, and they didn't even smell like fire. So Nebuchadnezzar says this to them. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into rubble there is no other god who can rescue like this did i did i read that right a couple of you know verses before we see that he's mad and he's making f- fun and like hey you're going to go in the fire and his tone tur- totally changes he does this big 180 he spins around because three boys decided not to compromise They said, we can't please somebody in higher authority than us and God at the same time. We can't please the people that we work with and still make the same decision that's right that we know is right in our hearts that God says we have to do. We cannot go on and compromise and please God and this person at the same time. So they stepped out and said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And so here's what happened. Had they, and I thought this in my mind over and over, you know, and some of you will know what I'm talking about, but there's a play in football where you act like you're going to do like a kneel down like this, like when you catch the ball you kneel down and act like it, and so everybody kind of just gives up, and then you take off running and you trick them. I, I thought to myself, if I were in that situation, and as Christians sometimes we just try to make ourselves feel better, and we try to compromise sometimes. What if I would have just halfway, you know, kneeled down? Like I wasn't fully on my knees, you know, but I just kind of got here, you know, and acted like. And then, you know, what would I have done if they are like, hey, you're not all the way down, you know? They could have just sort of compromised. But if they would have done that, then God would have not have brought them out of the trial. He would not have brought them out of the fire. So because they stood up, even against their king, their boss, their leader, for what they knew was right, He changes his, God changes Nebuchadnezzar's mentality, and he even issues a decree that says if anybody else even talks about their God, then your house is going to be turned to rubble, and you're going to be torn limb from limb. That would not have happened had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego compromised. But the best part of this whole entire chapter is this right here. It's verse 30 it says then the king promoted shadrach meshach and abednego to even higher positions in the province of babylon because they didn't compromise because they said i'm going to honor god and i'm not going to care what that person says do we understand that that because they stood up to that person they went from being province in babylon leaders they went were raised up to a higher position even though they stood up against the person in charge. And I don't know if that's you at your work now, that there's some things going on, uh, you know, ethically or whatever, but you may have to stand up for what is right. And it may cost you something. It may cost you something. See, because we feel like that as leaders, that God's always going to deliver us, and as a church, that God's going to deliver us from something. That's our mentality. But here's the truth. God doesn't always deliver us from. He delivers us. In, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't deliver, get delivered from it; we get delivered in it. And so that's what happens. So we have to go into the trial, into the fire, before God will bring us out of it. Because you know why? I mean, let's just let's just be honest. Because it brings Him the most glory, and that's what it's all about. Because us going in and coming out of that, that brings God the most glory, and that's what He cares about. He cares about Him being famous. So we have to press forward as a church, as leaders, ministry directors, volunteers with the vision and the direction that God's given us. And we have to understand that our motivation cannot be based on pleasing people. Even though we receive criticism, and y'all know as I know, there are just people that love to criticize and they act like they don't. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I don't want to be the one to tell you this, but you know, you did this, 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 this. What do we do with the criticism that we get? Here's what a a young pastor asked Billy Graham that same question. He says, what do I do with all the criticism I get? Pastor Billy Graham says this, if you wrestle with a pig, both of you are going to get muddy, but only one of you is going to like it. Right? Because generally, the people that criticize, they like doing it. And if you bring yourself to that level, and if you just worry about their opinions, then you you come down there like, I'm sorry, and and then you change, and that may not be the best thing that you need to do because God has given you a vision, and we sort of compromise and adapt, so we can't do that. So the bottom line is this. You're going to serve someone or something, and you're going to please someone or somebody. The question is, is it going to be people, or is it going to be God? So how did Jesus do it? On the screen we've got John 5.30 says this. This is Jesus talking. I only try to please the one who sent me. That's it. I only care about the one who sent me. I only care about God's approval. He understood that his ministry could not be based on the opinion of people. And he illustrates this to the disciples in Mark 1.35-38. through 38. Jesus, they had just got done in, earlier in that chapter healing a whole bunch of people. I mean, there was just some awesome things. You can read that whole thing in Mark 1. But in 35, it picks up and it says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed this. Here's what they said to Jesus because he was going, everyone is looking for you. Now, I want you to put yourself in that situation. What do you say when people are like, where have you been? Everybody's been looking for you. You say, Oh, I was over here. I'm sorry, I had to step out for a second. Or I didn't hear you calling me. I'm sorry. And so they say, everyone is looking for you. And listen to the response that Jesus says to them. Let us go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Wait, 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 wait. But all those people that, you remember we healed? There was a big crowd yesterday and they came. They came back, a lot of them, and they brought more people. And, and Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but they walked, and it's a long ways. And some of them came to be healed, and some of them just came to be around you. And you want to go somewhere else? Because he understood that there was more work to be done. And we, as a church and leaders, can't be so focused on everybody else. We have to press forward with the vision that God's given us. And that was, Jesus was, that he has to go on to do more work and to bring glory to God. So he left And he went out. He knew that his number one motivation was to honor God and please God first. He didn't care about the approval of every other person. And there was probably, if we're honest, think about this. There were probably people that were upset and mad at that. Because imagine if you stayed in line to a concert for five hours and you're standing in line and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. And then you get there and they're like, I'm sorry. They left. They went somewhere else. You'd be pretty frustrated, and you drove, and and these people walked. And so he knew that it couldn't be based on the approval of others. So I want to ask you this question. Who right now in your life are you still seeking approval from? Who are you trying to get their approval? Is it your mom and dad? Your grandparents, your boss or coworkers? Could it be church friends? Maybe you're trying to get the approval of your kids. and It could be even your husband or your wife here's the truth. If you are still seeking their approval and you haven't gotten it yet, then in reality, and this is going to hurt, it's going to sting, you're probably not going to get it. And it's easier to say than believe and want to believe, but the truth of the matter is, that you're probably not going to get it if you haven't gotten it by now, because you have probably went through and, and exercised all these things to do everything that you can, so the change doesn't need to be in you, it needs to be in them. But the truth of the matter is this, you only need God's approval. Jesus said in John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. He said, I brought you glory because you gave me a work. It's all about you. What do we want our results as a church to be? Just, I'm going to just let you listen to that question for a second. What do we want as a church, what do we want the results of what we do to be? It's easy to say in, in business. Think about it. In business, uh, we want to make a profit, and we want our business to grow. Uh, as, a, as a teacher, you know, I used to teach high school, and I was trying to teach these kids how to use Microsoft Access, which is like a database, and they didn't care anything about that. They wanted to learn about iPods and music and searching on the Internet, you know. And I'm trying to be like, you've got to know this because you're going to be tested on it. Because the result, the end result was they had to pass the EOC, the end-of-course testing. And I knew that they, everything that, uh, whether they decided I was a good teacher or not, was based on those grades. Whether they learned anything was based on some multiple guess. That's what I call it, multiple guess Test that the kids took. And so the result I wanted to be for them to know and understand that access. And I wanted them to pass the EOC as parents, what do you want the results to be of your kids? You want them to be good. You want them to be honest. You want them to be smart. You want them to have good integrity. And maybe there's some some parents here today that you're trying to play the parent and, and disciplinarian and the best friend at the same time. And I've had to deal with that a little bit with some, some kids and parents. But you're trying to be the disciplinarian and you're trying to be the best friend. And it's not really working out too good because you want to be known as the cool parent, you know. You want to be the hit one, you know. My, my kids like me, you know, I'm cool. And, and then at the same time, you, you have a hard time saying no. You have a hard time disciplining them because you don't want them not to like you. As Christians, as leaders, what do we want our results to be as a church? We want to see lives changed. We want to see souls saved. And we want to see our ministry grow. But to do that, we're going to face, we're, we're going to have a little bit of friction sometimes. And, and I, this is the only way that I know how to say it. Let's just think about this for a second. As in a ministry, you have people that work with you, that you love, and, and, but they might not have the best ideas. Okay, And you're leading, and this may be in your business, you're scared to say no because you're afraid that you're going to upset them, but you know in your heart for you to press forward with the vision that God's given you You can't do both. You can't let them keep doing what they're doing and please God at the same time. So you have a hard time saying no. And you don't want to tell them that they can't do it because you're scared that they're going to leave. And if they leave, then you're not going to have anybody. So you have the mentality that, guess what? Well, I'll keep them because one's better than none. So we go on and we compromise like, you know, yeah, I hear that's a great idea. Let's all paint ourselves blue and let's, you know, do this. You know, I don't know. But in in your current situation, what or who do you need to say no to? Because God has given you a vision and a purpose. And for you to go on with that, you cannot please God and please those people at the same time. So here's two things that can be taken away from this. This is just awesome. This is what Craig Groeschel said. He says, when we become more concerned with keeping those that are here than than reaching others, then the end is near. When our focus becomes more on keeping people that are already here than reaching out to others, the end is near because that is not what Jesus did. We saw it. He left those, those that came, and he went. So we cannot let our mentality be that. Tony Blair said this, the art of leadership is saying no. And I love this because anybody can say yes. Oh, you want to do that? Sure, go ahead. I, I wouldn't do it, you know. Yeah, that's a great idea, sure. It's hard to say no because you don't, we don't want to offend people sometimes. So who are we trying to police? Who or what do we need to say no to? I heard this story at the Drive conference this past year at North Point, and, it, and uh, They tell a story about Andy Gross. He's the chief financial officer of Intel Corporation. And here's what he says. They're trying to transition into a chip-making organization for computers. And he asked this question because I guess things were in decline and they knew that some big changes were about to come. He says, if we got kicked out and the board brought in a new CEO, what would he do? In other words, if we got the boot and the board said we need somebody else and they bring somebody else in, what would he do? He says, why don't we just walk out the door, come back in and make the changes ourselves? Because as leaders and ministry directors, and sometimes it's just so easier It's easier to quit. You know, we know what needs to be done. You know, I'm, I'm just, this is not true because we have an awesome dynamite kids ministry here. But say our kids ministry is not doing good. We've got five kids coming. They hate it. They just don't want to come. And we just want to throw in the towel. We say, well, if we got somebody that had a passion and a desire to do it, they come in and they, and they would make it boom, what would they do? Why don't we just walk out the door Let's suck it up, come back in, and make the changes ourselves and continue on. Because we're so emotionally attached to the things that we do. We're so emotionally attached, we love the things that we do. It's like that old couch at your house or or somewhere. It might not be in your house, but it might be at your barn that you can't get rid of. Y'all know what I'm talking about, that ugly couch? You know, you're like, I can't get rid of that couch. I love that couch. That's the couch I kissed my girlfriend on who became my wife. And my kids, they, they play on that couch and drool on that couch. You're like, but it's ugly. You know, you got to part with it. you just you got to get rid of it. you got to make some changes. Ministry is the same way. We all love the things that we do here. and We're all emotionally attached to the way we do ministry. But how we're doing ministry, is it the most effective way? Is what we're doing? Is it pleasing God? If someone were to come into your business or your work with fresh eyes and no emotional attachments, someone were to come into this church with fresh eyes, no emotional attachments. The kids weren't saved here, the grandma wasn't baptized here, you know the parents weren't married here. What would they do? They didn't care about Bob or Jan or, or Buckwheat or whoever it is. They just care about pleasing God and doing what God says. What would they do? Why don't we as leaders, as a church, in our ministries, make those changes ourselves? Are we leaders? Do we love this church? Do we love God? Then let's forget about the criticism that we're receiving. And let's focus on pleasing Him. And make the changes ourselves. For us to do that, here's what we have. Here's the takeaway. We cannot have selfish motives. Our motives can't be selfish. It can't be about us. It has to be about God and bringing glory to Him. Even though we may be criticized and even though we may be talked about, our motivation must be on pleasing God. I'm going to leave you with this final story right here. And I encourage you to go home and read this. It's taken from Acts 5. If you get a chance to go ahead and read that whole thing at home, I encourage you to do that. But the disciples had just got criticized and beaten for going out and doing God's work. And here is what we see them say at the end of this book. In Acts 5.41 they say this. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. In other words, they left happy, excited that they were even wor- worthy enough to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. That's easier said than done. I don't know about you, but I, when people come to me and they're upset with me, I generally don't walk away just like, thank you, God, that these people were upset that I'm doing your work. Amen? You know, you don't like people to come to you for that, but if you know that that's where God has called you to do and you get that criticism, then you you read this verse. You write this down. Rejoice that God counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And then it says from then on, and they left and every day they went into the temple from house to house and they continued on. They didn't care what those people, they had just got beaten and they still went out and preached. So for us to become a dangerous church... We have to settle the issue of what our motivation is. Because leading is hard work. And if you don't know why you do it, then you'll give up and you'll quit. As a leader, we get disappointed and depressed when people give us opposition. We get tired and burnt out from all the criticism. And because of this, we lose our motivation to lead. If we do this, if we quit, if we throw in the towel, if we get upset at the criticism that we're getting and we, and we just say, you know what, I'm done and I quit, then that right there shows that we're more concerned with pleasing people than we are with pleasing God. So let's not, let's not have our motives, let them not be the wrong things. Let them be on God. But if our motive, if we can just grab, grasp this concept right here, if our motivation Every person in here. And our focus is like Jesus. And we only focus on pleasing God and bringing glory to him and making him famous. Then there is absolutely no limit, none, to what he can do with us in this church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that we've received today. Uh, there's ministry directors here, business people here, um, just Christians, non-Christians. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would just make this um, a prayer in our everyday lives, that our focus would be on pleasing you. It's so easy, God, to, to lose that focus. It's so easy to, to listen to the criticism and to listen to the, all the negative Lord, if we truly, truly care about what we do, then we won't focus on that, God. And we'll just keep resting in the thought that we were worthy enough to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Help us, God, to understand that and to apply that to our lives in every situation. We thank you for all that are here today, God. Let us go out to do great works and great things for you. In Jesus' name That we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming guys. He